gentlemen welcome back to stories out of time and space i'm one of your hosts scott weatherly and as usual i'm joined by julian julian how are you doing uh i'm doing very well i'm ready to combat the uh dystopia uh of akira how are you doing i'm i'm good i'm good i'm I'm glad we're jumping into anime this is our first foray into into the japanese anime and as you say we're going to be covering 1988 akira um and I'm going to apologize up front because I'm going to have to name a few people on this. And I'm probably <laughs> going to get the pronunciation incredibly wrong. <laughs> but uh, we'll start with, just before we get into the whole story and stuff, um, with Akira, do you know this as the anime or do you know the manga as well? Uh, I've read some of the manga. I cannot get through it. Um, and it was an anime to me before it was a manga. What about you, Scott? Um, as yourself, it was an anime before it was a manga to me. I, I remember seeing this uh, probably in the sort of mid to late 90s um, uh, on VHS. Um, but I, 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 I really enjoyed the manga, actually. I've, I've got all six volumes and I've, I've read it at least like three or four times now. Um, wow. And yeah, it's, it's um, we'll get into it, but I've, I've got a lot of respect for, you know, the, the guy who created all this is... Mm-hmm. Uh, a, r- a real sort of creative force, um, but it's it's a, it's an interesting comparison because that's one of the things I'm going to be interested to talk about is obviously the what's in the anime and what's what's sort of in the manga and sort of you know where those sort of differ a little bit. Yeah, that's going to be interesting because um, you know I watched this with a with a friend of mine who's familiar with the manga more than I am. I mean, there's stuff that I remember, but it's been a long time, and I don't think I ever finished all six, but. Um, you know, there are things that don't like really make sense in this version, uh, in the, in the anime that, uh, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, that religious leader is, is much big, uh, has a bigger part in the manga. Yeah. There's a few of those things that sort of, I I know, again, I noticed it really for the sort of first time watch this, this time around is things just sort of like happen and they're like, oh, and that's happening. And it sort of moves on. And and there's, there's a definite, central story that you're really supposed to pay attention to um uh for for this sort of version of it um what is this let's give it a quick overview though so i suppose so it was as we said released in 1988 and directed by uh Kats, Katsu, i'm going to ruin this now katsuhiro otomo uh also written by katsu katsuhiro otomo and shunzo kato um, I was going to say based, but it ran parallel to the manga, which ran from 1982 to 1990. Um, and I'm going to try and condense hmm. this into a little bit of a summary. So, during the fight Uh-oh. with an opposing... Yeah, this is very <laughs> high level. I believe. During the fight with an opposing biker gang, Canada and Tetsuo collide with a government experiment. The accident injures Tetsuo, 
who is taken by government military officials. They find and experiment with his latent psychic powers. However, Tetsuo escapes, and while initially wanting to run away, ends up in a battle with the, the city's military, a government-run resistance group, and Canada. Tetsuo is driven by his need to know what has happened to him and who is Akira. That's why I tried to condense it down to. <laughs> um, <laughs> because this is incredibly complex. Yeah, I think too complex. Um, you know, I, I think there there's a lot going on. And there's so much in the anime that just does not make sense. Um, mm. You know, there are times where characters are just in a new setting. And you're not ever told why they're in that new setting. Um, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't happen every scene, but it does happen. No, I agree. There's, there's, there's several times when obviously they then try and explain it with almost like a, an info dump. There's a real sort of exposition dump of like, this is where we are and what's going on. And then it moves to the next sort of action piece. So it's it's quite, I find the pacing, to, especially that sort of like second, the second half of the second act and, and sort of, they've almost got to cover, you know, everything that's going on. Um, they really do try and like cram in a lot. I mean, there's a whole government coup thing that's supposed to be going on in the background of this, and it's sort of like, it's only really ever alluded to. It's never really explained or... Um, Is that with uh, the the colonel basically overthrowing the executive committee? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. It never really comes to fruition. He sort of, he shoots, we'll get to it in the story. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, um, the 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 executive committee sends someone to sort of arrest him or to sort of tell him to step down. And so mm-hmm. he shoots the guy and then basically sort of talks to like the executive sort of like armed guard or whatever into joining him. And then it's just sort of taken that he's sort of like started a coup. But at mm-hmm. no point does it, does he actually sort of go and take on the government because he's too busy taking on Tetsuo. <laughs> right. Um, well, and, and also I thought, why did the executive committee choose now of all times to attack <laughs> the colonel? I mean, when he's clearly doing lots of stuff for you. I mean, I know you disagreed at the one executive committee meeting that we saw, but yeah, I mean, that was my problem with that plot. And I think that's the thing with this is sort of, you know, we, we talk, we're going to, we're going to talk around obviously the, the wider sort of story points, but I, whilst I'm really impressed with um, what Otomo's done with this anime, mm-hmm. it, you know, he's, he's obviously so influential on the art, and I think, especially when you look at the manga, like the art is incredible. I'm really impressed with it. Yeah, but there's a, it's a, this. This is almost um, there's too, like you said, there's too much here that he's he's unable to explain it all in the two hours that the film runs for. Um, well, so I I have on. a theory, right? I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, Akira is tremendously influential, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking '88. It was one of the first uh, anime films that people had seen. I mean, there was there was like Robotech on TV. There were, there were a few things, but, um, you know, this was incredibly influential. And I think that um, it continues to be. But uh, one of one of the what I kind of think is that nobody really cares about the story. That really yeah. what Akira is all about is the vis- the animation, which was much better than we were really used to uh, at that time when, you know, animation was mostly for kids. And, you know, um, you know, we're not far off of sort of the Hanna-Barbera kind of uh, style mm. um, and that that animation is violent. The music's really good. 
um, you know, you're watching people's heads get crushed in animation and at a time when that's not done. Right. Um, Mm. So I think basically uh, the animation, the music, this is what it's known for. And I think outside of that, it's the bike, it's all the racing scenes and it's all the just like cool ass telekinetic stuff. And in fact, watching it, there are times where I'm just like, oh, my God, I am so bored with this, like, coup plot. I don't know who any of these characters are. I don't care about any of them. Get back to the, you know, uh, messing things up with your psychic powers and driving your bike fast. That's what I want. I, I agree. I mean, that, that's the core plot. That's the bit. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> the, 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 when, when they sort of when he's turning this from the manga, I mean, the manga is like over 2000 pages long. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to translate that into a film, like you say, you if you can't do it all, like you drop everything but the essential bits. Like you know, yeah, I understand. Like you know, you would have the military taking on Tetsuo because of what he's doing, but yeah, drop all the government um, coup stuff. Even drop some of like that resistance. I'm not sure what Kai is supposed to be. Like sometimes it's really confusing. Like, is she working for? the executive as a resistance or does she, cause in the, in the manga, she doesn't, yeah. she works for, as you said, the religious, um, the woman with the, the big hair and, and who's sort of in the streets acting as a resistance. Um, it's really unclear. Just lose it all and focus on the sort of relationship between Canada mm-hmm. and Tetsuo and them fighting, you know, whilst he's sort of growing in power. That's the core of the story, isn't it? Really? That's what they should be focusing on. Yeah, you're right. And I, and I, I think that, you know, even there, it could use some more time. It could use some more development. Um, but yeah, you're exactly right. That's why uh, we're both going to enjoy the remake slash live action version so much, because there's room for improvement. Mm. Well, and being a little uh, challenging. <laughs> I actually, th- it's, it's funny, because I, I, I was sat, flicking through the manga the other day I sort of like but I thought I'm going to look at this before I watch it cuz um there are certain scenes in the film that are like you know the the manga is taken almost as like a storyboard like some of the images in the film are just lifted straight from from the page uh, and mm-hmm. that's where they're so iconic like you say the bike uh, the opening scene of um you know 1980s neo tokyo was it 1990s but neo tokyo being destroyed you know, the first time Akira sort of like lets loose, um, is you know is is stunning. It, the the animation is amazing, but you're right. No one ever talks about the story. They just talk about the, the sort of the imagery and the iconography of, as everyone knows, the sort of like you know, um, the thing that gets parodied the most, I think, on this film is that moment when um Canada sort of like skids his bike along and you get the sort of two mm. bike trail and he's got his legs sort of like, that's parodying everything from sort of I've seen it in Ninja Turtles to Batman to sort of you know, everybody sort of parodies that. It happens in the first sort of fifteen minutes of the film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, I know the shot that you're talking about, you know, sort of as he he does the turn and he winds up kind of uh perpendicular to the camera. Um Yeah. It's right. it's when he's sort of um, you know he's almost doing like a almost like jousting with the with the leader of the Joker uh, biker mm-hmm. gang, um, and yes, yeah, so there's little things like that. And obviously later on when he has the laser cannon, um, and that's it in the third act. Like for, when I was a kid, even though after I watched this for the first time uh, as a VH, I thought Canada was Akira. Mm-hmm. I did too. Yeah, 
um because really in the anime like akira plays such a small part in this um akira is irrelevant really to the story yeah yeah it's a bizarre i mean he plays a much much bigger part in in the manga um and that's obviously one well, of the biggest differences I mean, maybe we could talk about that because, uh, I mean, you'll be able to help me because, you know, in the anime, um, it, it's very strange that uh, you sort of find out uh, among these psychic, uh, the psychic program, including these three kids, that uh, Akira was this big deal. And, you know, uh, and I know in the, one of the few things that I remember really well from the manga is like, you know, this thing with like room 25 and patient 25 mm. and sort of track, which I think is cool that it's a number and not just like the legend of Akira will someday return. Yeah. Um, but they kind of talk about that. And then you find out, you know, it's very strange. Like Akira is a bottle uh, when they release Akira. Akira isn't a person. Akira is the remains of Akira in these little uh, cylinders but the remains are incoherent. Like there's a little brain. It's like, was Akira a series of mice uh, yeah. in the anime? I, I don't know. Um, and then they sort of are infused with psychic slash magic power, which comes alive. And at the end merges with uh, Tetsuo and the three kids. And they go off and become the 2001 star child from as near as I can tell. So <laughs> how, but, but also there's confusion of like, you think through most of the anime that Akira is really only known to the psychics and to the colonel, but then uh, suddenly you have that religious leader on the street and suddenly there's like this popular movement and you think, how did people learn about Akira if it was this government thing? And I know that's different in the manga. Yeah, it is, it is bizarre because, uh, you know, like say at the start of the, of the, both the film and the manga, it sort of starts with this, massive explosion which takes out tokyo and leaves this huge crater um and then that crater sort of like either just left of it or wherever around it you get neo tokyo being like rebuilt and even like 30 years later so just to highlight that this film is actually the akira sort of predominantly is set in 2019 um, yes and i am not and this is i'm going to i'll go back to the tangent i was on before i am sort of convinced now that um because this came out, started in 1982, and it's not actually said in the... I don't think it's actually said in the, the manga what year it's, uh, the main story starts in. I honestly think that uh, Otomo is setting this in the same universe as Blade Runner. Just putting it out Oh, there. interesting. Yeah, it does have a sort of similar look. And they mm. do have the 2019 setting, right? Yeah, I, I, I swear he chose that on purpose. Um, because, obviously, Blade Runner set in, in 2019 as well. Um but yeah, so you get this like massive explosion, and then obviously thirty years later, you get sort of like Neo Tokyo has risen up, but it's still a bit of a you know it's, it's still got um, real problem. It's sort of you know got slightly overpopulated. You've got a sort of crime and all this other stuff. <clears throat> um, but the thing it doesn't ever show is like that that explosion was written off as a um, as a bomb. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was sort of it was it was it was always described as I can't remember if it's meant to be a terrorist activity or something else, but it was always. The government declared that it oh it was a weapon, um, and that sort of was the end result of World War Three. So you sort of you sort of you know you, you, the people should really just know about that. But what, what's explained in the manga is that woman that you see sort of sat in the street, uh, and her 
she's got like her disciples or anything, but she's actually one of the kids. So she was one of the, the children that was part of the psychic experiment. So she's got a number on her hands as well, a lot a much lower number. I think she's in, in the teens, like 17 or 18 or something. Um, and so she she's actually escaped the program. So she has like, you know, probably not as, as powerful as those the three sort of aged looking kids that you you, you meet, um, but has psychic powers. And she has sort of set up her religion around this idea that Akira is this all powerful being that has been suppressed by the government. And that's why she is sort of funding the resistance movement that Kai works for. Um, so that's like a massive part of the, of the manga and it explains <laughs> a lot in this nothing. I mean, the other thing is obviously, you know, they make this huge thing of, of, of like, uh, they go underground and there's this massive frozen stasis, uh, stasis chamber. And it's sort of like, there's a door to it and everything. Like, well, as you say, at the end of the film, you find that it's a bunch of sort of basically test tubes with, with bits of brain or something in it that may or may not contain the essence or psychic ability of Akira, which is weird. In the manga, it actually contains um, Akira, the child, and Tetsuo, mm-hmm. Tetsuo sort of unleashes him. And the whole sort of middle part of the book is them taking over Neo-Tokyo. Like they destroy. There's a moment where sort of Tetsuo and Akira sort of like lose it, and they destroy the city again, and they take over the ruins. And there's this whole sort of like arc of them, and sort of Akira becomes worshipped as a sort of a almost like a deity. Um, and so he is the central point of the plot because the, the whole second half of the the manga is about okay, well, how can we stop Tetsuo and Akira, right? Who, who basically become almost like Darth Vader and the Emperor. <laughs> yeah, they're dictators of Neo-Tokyo, mm. right? So it's, yeah, so calling it Akira and then sort of, like, they've really had to shoehorn that in to the film <laughs> to make it relevant. Um, I mean, the irony, the, the thing to note is obviously the film was, was the film was being written in 87 and was animated between 87 and 88 to be released in um, late 1988. The anime went, went ran for another two years after the release of the film. So the the, huh. the so manga, the anime, sorry, the manga, yeah, the manga yeah. ran for another two years. So it didn't actually complete its story until hmm. 1990. So <clears throat> it's not even. It's hard to say the film is based on the manga because the manga wasn't complete. It almost feels a bit like Otomo was testing out ideas. You know what yeah, I mean? sort of. Almost like he put them in the anime. Like, oh, it doesn't quite work, so I won't do that in the, um, in the manga. So yeah, it's weird. But yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, it reminds me of like you know 2001, where it's like the the movie script and the book were being produced simultaneously, um, mm. and there's some divergence. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Sort of obviously, this is you know, I mean that was a creative sort of thing between. Arthur C. Clarke and, and uh, um, oh my god, yeah, Who's Kubrick. Kubrick, thank you. Yeah, I mean, this is just one guy's sort of like, you know, he obviously had Shunzo Kato to help him write it, but mm-hmm. it feels like this is one guy's vision because they are very, very close. I mean, the, the the finale of the the anime is very close to the finale of the manga. There's just a whole heap of story in the middle. Right. <laughs> Yeah, um, so I I mean that ending is very strange. Yeah, 
And again, there's a whole bunch of story that explains that <laughs> in, in in the manga. Do you know what this? Because the, the one re, going through the manga again and then watching this, it felt to me a bit like if someone made Lord of the Rings, and then basically had sort of like the shire, you know, them go from the hobbits go from the shire to like the elven, um, you know, uh, place, and then basically make it to Mordor. That that was pretty much how it felt. It's sort of like. Oh, but there's all this other stuff in the middle. Yeah, no, but we haven't really got time for that. So we're just going to do this big bit of the, of, the, of the sort of the first part, and then the end. Yeah, and it's all it's sort of it's a real chunk that's missing. Um, and obviously, you mentioned about the potential sort of live action version. Of this, if and when, if and when Warner Brothers ever gets around to doing it, like they need to do it. I think like Lord of the Rings, you know, like okay. a big three story three film epic uh-huh. and, and and cover everything that's in there because otherwise like I say it won't make any bloody sense <laughs> well it's interesting you were talking about uh Ryu and and Kai that mm. uh cuz they it seemed as if every single scene with them was confusing to me um I don't know what they're doing I don't know I I mean it seems like you meet them and then like literally the next scene um you know, um, uh, Kaeda is, uh, well, I guess is, uh, Canada is literally, uh, spying on them and then is caught. And it's like, I thought you just met them. Uh, mm. then they're suddenly going through the sewers and you're like, I think we should have gotten some exposition saying who you work for and what you're trying to do, yeah. <laughs> which I yeah, don't think is ever done. <laughs> no, no, they don't ever. The other thing is, I, I love how sort of like, trusting they seem to be like at one point Ryu does say sort of like you know who are you what do you want oh, and then tries to shoot him and then within minutes he's like well you're part of one of us now so come along on this secret mission <laughs> like, well that was that was incredibly easy um yeah it, it it does feel very disjointed um and I mean really for me I, I always sort of focus in on uh that main relationship I mean you know we say you, mm-hmm. you say about the story not being the crooks, and I totally agree. Like this is a visual, um, this is a visual sort of medium that sort of uh, see why it's so iconic. I mean, you know, in nineteen eighty eight, um, you know, that's the same year as the Little Mermaid, um, and I think uh, American Tale. So you know, you got these sort of like cutesy Disney and and Don Bluth kind of films coming out, and then and Japan's a bit like you know, hold my beer and sort of. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you how to do animation. Um, but the story to me is that relationship between um, uh, Canada and, and Tetsuo. Uh, you know, these two sort of like orphan kids who have sort of like had each other's back for years, but have still got like a, there's, there's still that begrudging rivalry between them um, that, yes. you know, that, that clearly bubbled up from the fact that like Canada is the cooler of the two and, and Tetsuo resents it. And so by give, being given these powers, he's able to sort of like say, you know, well, look at me now, kind of thing. Yeah, and and I that's sort of what I remember is the emotional core of the anime as well. Um, mm. That sticks with me. Um, that has stuck with me, and even to the point where when Akira does show up at the end of this, as you know, he's sort of created from you know the those parts floating in uh, cylinders. He briefly shows up during Tetsuo's, you know, 
consuming mass somehow and, you know, sort of growing into this, this giant monster, um, that, uh, I, I said out loud, like, oh, I don't remember this at all. Uh, I remember, you know, Tetsuo sort of going crazy and you remember sort of like the, the look of that massive, uh, organic construct that, uh, Tetsuo sort of becomes, but then he just kind of stops the plot just kind of ends, right? I mean, there's not really a big conflict. Um, there's sort of like a, a big conflict and then you get this mass increase. Akira shows up and then it's just kind of over. Um, and I don't, so I didn't even remember Akira at all. I just remembered exactly what you described as sort of the core plot. Yeah. And so, you know, like you say, Akira is... is fundamentally irrelevant to the story i mean you know they, they there's this notion throughout that they almost again they try to pin it on a mystery of like who is akira um again like you know i think we, we've talked about this in other films as well that could have been resolved pretty quick if someone just explained something very early on i mean um we, we talk about there's these three children that are it's it's not hugely explained again in the in the film it's, there's more goes into it in the in the manga that why they look aged you know they're, they're small little kids but they're aged that they look old and, and wrinkled and gray and this sort of thing and different um, colored skin uh one of them is yeah. sort of gray and then other has like green skin and... yeah yeah it's got the, the one in the wheelchair looks a bit blue and, and so they've got these sort of they've clearly sort of like you know it's 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 part of the medication and stuff that they've been taking um but you learn more about them and they're really interesting because they're sort of, they form this sort of dynamic and they've got this, they're the only ones that could have each other's backs. So they're always looking out for each other and they sort of try to welcome Tetsuo, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. when they sort of bring him in and he actually, he's, you know, he's going off at one um, and he sort of says about Akira and at no point does anyone just try and explain it to him. Oh yeah. Well, Akira was one of us and he went off. He was, Really powerful, and, and he's the reason there was that massive explosion in uh, you know, 1988. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, we, we 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 didn't really want to talk about that. Colonel, the colonel could have said it. One of the kids could have said it. Like it, it's clear that even Kai knows about this and never really explains it. So it's it, you know when they pull it out, this idea of they, you know he's a kid. That's about it. So when they pull out the freezer thing towards the end, he pulls it out. He uses his power to pull it, pull it out of the ground. It's sort of the the mystery remains even after that because you're sort of you're left to sort of um, pick up, up bits and pieces throughout the film, but at no point do they even sort of really show you a great deal about who he is mm-hmm. or what he was capable of. It's, it's um, yeah, yeah. I it, I don't understand anything about that plot. Um, you know, in particular the three kids. Um, you know why are they allowed to roam free? A- at least in the in the uh, anime. Um, you know, you were talking about why don't they say who Akira is? Why doesn't the colonel? I mean, if the colonel yeah. doesn't want people to uh, poke around and rescue Akira, why not mention? Oh yeah, by the way, he's dead. So don't go looking for him because we put his corpse in a freezer. Um, you know that might dissuade people from doing what you don't want. Um, why, why do they have this enormous building that's like, you know, several city blocks, uh, tall 
that apparently houses this psychic project in which these three kids are allowed to just run around. Um, I don't understand any of this and don't remember the answers from the manga. No, again, it's one of those things that sort of it's the building again. This comes down to us for sort of design aesthetics, isn't it? Like um, Otomo has designed this to this Neo Tokyo to very much resemble um, like Blade Runner LA, you know, like you get the the hologram advertisements and, um, you know, it's always very dark and, and that sort of thing. And I think that building is supposed to be, if, if anything, to be perfect, if anything, it, it it mimics that idea of the Tyrell Corporation thing. It's just that overbearing, you know, center of the city, isn't it? Like, I assume there's more going on in that building than that one uh, project. At least I hope there is. Otherwise, mm. it's a real waste of space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we use yeah. one floor for the psychic kids, and then we've got like the freezer pods in the basement somewhere. Um, <laughs> other than that, it's just you know a lot of storage. We'll rent it someday. Yeah, there's probably about, there's probably about three or four different call centers in that building, all being rented out <laughs> different things. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of those it's, a, it's design aesthetics, isn't it? Again, that sort of like they pick if you because. Um, it's the same as you know they, they were going to have the um, some Olympics you know was being built and that I don't, oh, right. I don't know if it's been called off or right and it turns out that uh, Akira and the the freezer the status chamber is actually under the old um, or was to be built Tokyo Olympic Stadium um, and again you sort of ask that seems like an odd choice yeah. <laughs> If it, if it had been successful, yeah. I'm never entirely sure. Like, I can't remember. I might be. I'm sure there's an ex- explanation. Like, was that built before the stadium, or was it built sort of like after the explosion? You know, was that being built during the stadium, and then so before the explosion, and then was sort of utilized after? Um, because it's sort of outside the city limits, isn't it? They have to go across a bridge thing to get to it. So it's almost like it's outside of those. But it still seems like an odd choice. Like you know, sort of, there's yeah. Well, I mean, I, in fact, I was just describing uh, those freezer things as because it's strange. They're they're in a sort of like sphere that uh, Tetsuo pulls up from the ground. Uh, and mm. I forgot that they they even had this whole transition as, you know, sort of inexplicably Tetsuo is thrown out of a building and seems to discover he can fly, although it's not really super clear in the in the anime. Um and I had, to, but I had totally forgotten that they like go over to the stadium where the sort of climax occurs. But that like that bridge collapse in the middle is awesome. That's another mm. just sort of like the stuff that works in this movie is so visual. Is just uh, you know awesome animation, awesome ideas. Um, you know, you just sort of enjoy it and let yourself go rather than trying to figure out, like, where is this bridge in Neo-Tokyo? Are they, <laughs> you know, it doesn't really matter, right? Yeah, that's it. I, I agree. I do get swept up in this film. Um, and it's one of those that sort of, like, I, I can watch this over and over again. I do really enjoy it. And I've, it's been a while since I've watched it this time. But um, you say about the, the animation, I was really taken with how how good the animation in this was. Um and I sort of thought about, like I say, it came out in like the late eighties. So I was sort of thinking at that time I was watching. You know, I was only a kid at the day, you know, born in early eighties. So I was watching like Land Before Time and and like you say, Little Mermaid. So I, I didn't know any better. Um, 
But what are like, Mom, I want to, I want to rent this Akira movie. It's, <laughs> it's okay. It's, it's a cartoon. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I swear, I'm sure when this came out on VHS, I'm sure there was, there was instances of that. No, Mummy, look, it is. It's a cartoon. Um, well, that's that's yeah. what was the case in those days. Is that I mean the same thing was true to some degree of comics, right? Um, yeah. You know, pe- people still thought, "Oh yeah, my kid can read that," and you know, I'm over there reading Watchmen. You know, um, <laughs> you know, the same thing was true with with Akira. Yeah, well, I, to be fair, I actually got that with 2000 AD um, when I started reading that. <laughs> and, you know, I I remember my parents first seeing what I was reading, and you know, being. Not quite horrified, but maybe a little concerned that yeah. you know, <laughs> predominant the main character obviously being Judge Dredd, and then spanning out from there. The early nineties of two thousand AD was uh, interesting times. Um, yeah, so yeah, I can see well, how it sort of beats that. And some of the stuff well, that that I think is very successful in Akira is the sort of dystopian stuff. I mean, you know, you're talking about the look and feel, but but even early on. The sense of of violence. I mean, the sense of you do kind of remember the motorcycle gangs, and I, I think especially in eighty eight, the idea that the protagonist was a member of a motorcycle gang. Um, mm. I mean, I, I think now I now I watch it and I think I don't know anything about any of these characters. <laughs> uh, it's shocking how little you know about anyone. But um, you know, at the time, and I think even still today it's kind of amazing to have a protagonist be a, you know, a thug, uh, basically, mm. um, who seems to have very few redeeming features or interest in, not just interest in being a productive member of society, but I mean, he doesn't seem particularly noble. His main motivation through the whole movie is, uh, you know, if anyone's going to kill my buddy, it's going to be me. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> not a lot of redeeming values. And and the violence, I mean, the violence and the and the motorcycle gang stuff really strikes you. I think, especially like those dogs attacking mm. each other in the street. Uh, it was very RoboCop for me. It, that, that's a really good point because I mean, the opening of the film, like they they don't waste any time in telling you basically that this bunch of kids, because they are kids. I mean, I think they explain that they're fifteen. Um, uh, are like you say a bunch of thugs. Like you know. Are you, you you are, you are supposed to question, I think, whether whether you're supposed to follow them or not. I mean, in that opening bike chase, you know, there's it sounds daft to say it, but there's like public um, property damage that like they blow up a car with a bomb. They're sort of smashing windows. Mm-hmm. At one point, one of them goes through a window into a restaurant and takes a guy's head off. <laughs> like there's this couple sat at a booth, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and when he comes past, like one of uh, Canada's like biker guys is grinning about it, and you like, say. I'm not so sure if you're gonna if you're supposed to back them or not. It's it's a yeah, it's a very interesting and pretty brave way to start a film. Like, here's your protagonist. Um, he's going to be the hero, but yeah, you're probably not gonna li- gonna like him because there's like I say, not a great deal to like about him. I mean, this isn't the Goonies. This isn't a bunch of like misfit kids. Like, these are proper delinquents, aren't they? Like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of sort of Clockwork Orange that way, which is saying a lot for an animated film in 88. Yeah. I mean, they go to a bar to take drugs in this film. (laughs) You know, and and the bartender's sort of like like selling them drugs in a bar. I mean, it's it's not a nice place. These I mean, these are down and out kids. It's really. um, 
it, it, you know, it's not a good life. I, I find it fascinating that again, like the, the, they never try to sugarcoat anything. Like when you see the places they go to, like the parts of the city are dilapidated and boarded up, and they're just horrible. And then when they go to school, they get found out for being involved in this accident. And the colonel says, like, you know, well, we've told you, principal, so you got you know, wait till you see to him tomorrow. They seem to get like I think it's like the sports coach basically punches them individually in the face. Yeah. It's well, like, also the school is falling down, right? I mean, the school looks yeah. like, you know, this is an extension of the dystopia is that the streets are super violent. I mean, there are dogs just fighting each other and, and yeah. maiming people in the street. Uh, there are motorcycle gangs who, you know, I think also in, in that chase or, or one of the others, uh, the motorcycles are careening off and then exploding in big fireballs. You know, so I mean, forget property damage. I mean, you know, you have basically like exploding uh, terrorist attacks, uh, like suicide bombers, except they're just exploding bikes because, you know, you're so reckless. Um, And then, and then the depiction of like the, they're, you know, they're, you don't really see much for their housing, but you know, the school is abusive, falling mm. apart. Nothing is good. No, they've got nothing going for them. Have they? This is a sort of, um, it's, it, I've, I've always wondered for, you know, can Canada, Canada, when he comes out at the end, like is, is he redeemable? You know, so does, does, Doing what he does at by the by the end of this film does hit does it redeem him? Because I mean, he, technically he saved <laughs> no, he, he doesn't even save Neo Tokyo because because he doesn't right. he doesn't technically stop Tetsuo like the the three kids stop him, don't they? By as right. you said, sort of combining their psychic powers and stuff. I mean, he attempts to, he tries to sort of save him, but is he doing it to save Neo Tokyo or is he just doing it to? As you say, be the the only one that has the right to take out Tetsuo. I don't know. It's but that's explicitly what he says. I mean, he says, if anyone's going to kill my brother, it's going to be me. You yeah. know, I mean, he, he seems far more concerned with his bike than he does with, with with any of these civilians. I don't think he cares about anyone else in Neo Tokyo. No, that's a, that's a point. Because at the end of the film, obviously, there's been another, you know, there's been a secondary explosion. I mean, it looks great. I mean, again, the animation is fantastic. And when it takes out Neo Tokyo and you see like, the waves coming through and it's doing all the destruction, like, after that, and, and then Tetsuo is taken out. Um, yeah, they return to the city, but there's no sort of concern of like you know. And now we can rebuild, which would have been the American ending, you know, that sort of like. Yeah. It's very much just like, all right, well, back to it. You know, they just sort of ride their bike <laughs> back into the what remains of the city. It's. Uh, um, yeah. yeah, like all the all the skyscrapers are sort of falling over. I mean, the city is partially intact. I mean, despite this this sort of white uh sort of fireball thing um but obviously not a single structure is not in some state of limited collapse Mm. um yeah and there's not a lot of i mean forget talking about rebuilding there's not even a lot of like crowds on the street there's no you know bread lines nobody seems concerned i mean it's just like oh okay you know we basically lived in rubble before um I mean, there is, there is this interesting distinction between sort of shots that we see all through the movies, that, all through the movie that is that are uh, of dilapidated buildings like their school. I mean, we see some terrible conditions and just ruin uh, like structures and then these sorts of uh, 
as you say, sort of Blade Runner-esque, like Tyrell building, uh, sort of big, beautiful structures. And I don't know that the movie is trying to give us a kind of class divide. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know, because it, it sort of shows like a sprawling city, doesn't it? Because it shows, obviously, like, um, again, like you say, all the... Uh, the big buildings and the sort of the uh, projection or the hologram advertisements, but it never actually gives you anybody of affluence. Like you get to see some of the the government executive or whatever, but they're never sort of portrayed as being, you know, like mega rich and and sort of like powerful. They're just they they just seem as just administrators, just as much as anybody else. So, right, it's an interesting one because if you're going to make such a distinction of how poor they are and how poor off they are, like. You'd think there would be a like an opposing um, element of like you know well here, yeah here's the other side of the city but yeah it never seems to go anywhere that one yeah I there's sort of no representation of uh, the the wealthy or the affluent mm-hmm. um, speaking of how terrible they are you know there's early on that uh, can we just talk about I think it's Kiori the uh, girlfriend of Tetsuo. Because um, early on, there's this sort of scene where uh, he's being beaten. And this is you sort of like establishing still further that um, they are thugs. They are involved in a gang. They're up against a rival gang. Also, Tetsuo is stupid, right? I mean, he's joyriding with his girlfriend. Um, and so the gang sort of pretty savagely beats Tetsuo tears off his girlfriend's shirt uh exposing her and there's a sort of implied threat of rape um and then she is just dropped completely from the narrative tetsuo has no concern for her whatsoever because i mean again these are horrible people um and then she appears at the end to sort of like plead with him in the arena and he winds up squashing her uh and she sort of pops like a bug am i missing anything here no (laughs) because <laughs> she is, treated, she is treated, the funny thing is it's one of the um it, in the in the manga like she she because she is not um his girlfriend at the beginning of the, of the of the of the manga um so in that story there's a whole section in the middle after after the sort of city is destroyed there's a whole arc where they sort of survive in the rubble uh where the resistance tries to take on the dictators that is tetsuo and and akira and she is uh, Kyori is given to Tetsuo to for for one of the best phrase like a sex slave. That's pretty much the the point. Like you know, she's literally given to him, and she sort of becomes almost like a confidant, almost like a carer, because he becomes dependent on drugs to um, suppress uh, certain parts of his psychic abilities that that are giving him migraines and sort of uh, are driving him slowly crazy. Um. But she's she's treated just as badly in the manga as well. Like she try, she's actually a, a much more sympathetic character as well because she keeps trying to sort of um, pushing push him to be more benevolent. Like you know, well you you're in charge. You can do these things. You could help these people. You could do this. You could do that. Um, and eventually, she suffers exactly the same consequence. <laughs> like she's just killed <laughs> off without any sort of remorse. It's a really odd one where it's sort of like, um, yeah, for Otomo writing this and creating like. He has no qualms about just sort of like, yep, yeah, you're done, thank you, move on. Um, and you know, he he, I don't know if you're if you're supposed to feel sympathy for them, but it's not 
in the in the manga, it's not like a tear jerking scene. It's more of a it's a shocking moment. But yeah, she she gets worse treatment in the anime, um, but her story in the manga is not much better. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I think her her death at the in the uh, anime is quite similar. That it, it it's not mm. intended to be a tearjerker. Um, but I think, you know, I, I mean, obviously, there's a sort of like women in refrigerators argument to be made here, or sort of like there are no uh, good female characters. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I guess, um, I guess one of those those kids is uh, clearly female, although they don't seem to especially have gender in a way that is meaningful. No, is it? I mean, I suppose Kai is supposed to be a strong. It, weird look, she's supposed to be a strong, a strong female character, but they've sort of, in order to do it, they've almost had to sort of like make her a tomboy. Um, and I don't mm-hmm. know if that's a sort of maybe a sign of the times, um, because yeah, of the psychic children, there's a, there's a young, say young, there's a small a feminine girl character, um, but even she's played out to be like the weakest of the three. You know, she's she's kept in sort of like a protective dome. Oh uh, yeah. And all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, she, she's not even. She sort of, she has her position as it of influence because she helps direct Kai. But other than that, like yeah, she she doesn't do a great deal. Right. Yeah, and I and I think that uh, I mean the same thing is sort of uh, Kai is kind of the same way. Um, you know, not I I, I don't really understand because of course she's her father. I think it's her father. Um, it's not really clear what his agenda is. I mean, he kind of reports to the executive council at one point and then, um, you know, it's like, I guess that's what he was doing, but, and then they, um, I guess they shoot him and it's very confusing. Yeah. I mean, it's, this is where it becomes unclear. I mean, like what you say, some of her points, some of her plot points don't really, um, it, they don't make a whole bunch of sense because there's masses of story missing. I think that's the problem. Um, right. I think, again, I'm, I'm just looking at it. So you've got sort of like um, the difference between the, the, you, you talk about female characters, actually the difference between um, the anime and the manga from female characters is actually quite strong. Um, I mean, in this, in, like I say in the, in the anime, you've only got Kai who is really sort of like, represented as sort of like you know the strong female character like she is a a protagonist like she's active she's got agency like she's trying to take on tetsuo she's trying to take on um both the government and the military and that's it but you never really fully understand her motivations in in the um in the manga you've got kai and you sort of have much more of her explanation of who she is um because but you've also got this lady um butcher this as well Mayako, which is the woman you saw in the street um and when you see her like again like she's you know she's a female character that sort of has, has given agency she has uh motivations she has a, a plot of her own uh and then in addition to that i'm trying to find one here actually there's another female character that sort of um acts almost as like kai's bodyguard um hmm. and she's she's a very sort of like They've, she's very butch. That's the only way to describe her. The way she's drawn, she's very, very butch. But again, throughout it, like she's a badass. Like she's a really sort of like strong character. Like she doesn't say a great deal, but she sort of takes on takes the fight to 
um, later in one of the in the later in the arcs, takes a fight to a load of Akira's sort of foot soldiers and stuff, and takes them all on, and it's great. So there's a real balance, and towards I say the the second half of the of the manga, <clears throat> like there are real there really are some strong female characters. Like I say, even um, uh, Kiori, she sort of has a um, she you know she has more story because she's trying to influence Tetsuo. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, all of that, all of that's taken away in the anime. Um, predominantly, just to say, for that core story of just those of the war between Canada and, and, and Tetsuo. So, right. So, how do you yes. feel? I mean, as a fan of of the manga or somebody who's obviously much more familiar with it, how do you feel about the anime now that you? I mean, do you watch it? Do you feel like mm, you know, like it's a version of the story that I love and I, and I love seeing these animated sequences that are, that are iconic, or do you feel like, you know, like it's truncated in ways that are annoying? I, I would never say it was annoying. Cause I think like I said, I, I watch it and I enjoy it. I would say I, I consider it to be a, it's a lesser, uh, it, it's lesser in the um, plot. You know what I mean? Like as, as a story, mm-hmm. It is totally lesser. It feels compromised. You know, it's almost like in in writing it, um, they he wanted to cram in. I'm trying to think of an example, really. Um, you know, to compare it to, but it's it's basically they there was clear sort of things he wanted to put in, but could only do as um, a, a nod or a sort of a cameo or whatever. And right. in doing that, it, it it sort of alludes to the fact that. Yeah, I couldn't do the whole story, and so it's a version of the story. I lo- I love the animation. I love it. I can sit and watch this film and just enjoy it oh, aesthetically. Yeah. You know, it's beautiful, and there are some great scenes. Like you know, sometimes the even the, with the British the the English dub, um, the the more recent one is actually really good. Um, so I can enjoy that front. But like as you say, there. Are, <laughs> I cannot believe that anybody could sit and watch this and say, I fully understand everything that's going on. And I think it's a really satisfying story. Yeah. I think that's very fair. I I think that's very fair. And I have the same reaction. I mean, as somebody who is not familiar with, with the manga, I I think I got, uh, I read the epic uh, colorized versions uh, Mm. when I was growing up and I didn't have all of them. Um, but I had lots of them and, and I think they were edited anyway. And then I started getting the big dark horse phone books and just never made it through. But I, so I think for me, I love the animation. I mean, the music is great. Um, I love a lot of these elements, obviously like the bike is iconic. Um, Mm -hmm. some of these images are iconic. There are sequences that are just astounding to watch. Um, but then I, I, I think, there are times where I, you know, I, I think, well, this this plot is a mess, um, and and it gets to a point where I'm just like, okay, get back to a, I just get back to a bike scene, get back to yeah. like a, a a force bubble around Tetsuo as he projects something. Those are all awesome scenes. Those are great. Give me that mm. stuff because that's the core. Uh, yeah, I, I think the sort of like you say, like there are certain. Like, I only watched it. I've watched this twice in the last like couple of weeks. You know, getting ready for this, and there are scenes that I've completely forgotten already. 
You know, I could mm-hmm. watch this again and be like, oh yeah, that's in it. Like, you know, there is completely forgettable moments in this film. But then there was also, like I say, there are scenes and sequences in this film that just stand out and I think they look amazing. I mean, one of the things I found out was the reason that, um, to, to give an example, like, so the bike scene, you know, the, the chase at the beginning, um, mm-hmm. but also there's a moment when then one of the resistance workers has already um, managed to help one of the children, child psychics escape. And you know, he's been shot and he's working, through, he's been chased by those two dogs. The, the reason all that looks amazing is because it's shot with 24 drawings a second, hmm. which is the equivalent of 42 frames a second for film. Usual right. animation does between eight and 12. So it's doubling the, almost doubling the sort of uh, drawing frame rate uh, of, of regular animation. So, what, you know, your brain is very, very used to seeing a certain jerkiness, you know, in, right. in animation. You sort of accept it and your brain fills in the gaps. That doesn't exist in this animation. So it looks incredibly fluid. And it means that they can do things in this film. So, you know, the reasons why that sort of moment when um, uh, Canada does that sort of skid and it looks so good is because it's 24 drawings a second. Look, it looks so fluid. There's no staggering in the animation. So they really went to town on this from an animation standpoint that hadn't really been done before. Um, So, I mean, it, it stands up in that respect. Like this could still be shown in cinema in a theater now and i think it would still oh, yeah. look stunning no um, i agree i agree and I, and i think that i mean i did notice more than in the past some sort of animation inconsistencies um mm. where i mean there are sometimes characters you see characters sort of standing and and it does seem more jerky or it seems like the even just the rendering the outlining of the figures is not as good as some of the other shots um, and there were times where I thought, like, did, uh, especially with uh, uh, Canada, did did he, like, there are shots where I think, like, did he lose, like, 10 years between these two shots, you know, yeah. where yeah. It, it seems kind of inconsistent in, in some of those those features. But, um, but I absolutely concur with you. I mean, I would love to see this in theaters. Yeah, I, I do think you could. You could. I, I agree with what you're saying. I think some of the design because it was that's. I think that's one of the problems of sort of like pre um, digital sort of you know animation that sort of thing is. Oh, this was drip drawn by hand. You know, a lot of it and then painted, and so right. you you do get those inconsistencies. Uh, I think that's sort of unavoidable, isn't it? It's um, funnily enough, it's one of those things I sort of find quite. Um, nostalgic about certain animations um you know i know you and i both sort of got a fondness for um you know the original transformers cartoons and that sort of thing and i loved all those sort of 80s saturday morning cartoons and the amount of times that um you know animation flubs that would get in sort of like the real ghostbusters (laughs) i i still i love that kind of stuff you know seeing sort of like peter's voice come out of egon or something in a scene it's always (laughs) always makes me laugh but so it's yeah, it's almost unavoidable. I think in that sort of era of animation, which is you know sometimes a shame. But no, it's it still stands up. I think it's it's it's, it's a real triumph. Um, would you want them to? Would you want to see this done though? As would you know, this, we we've sort of joked about the remake or, or whatever. Would you want to see this made again as a story? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that 
you know, in talking about it with you, we've really identified, I mean, besides the bike, the look and feel of it. Um, I think that grounding it in that relationship and sort of, if you were going to make presumably a, a two hour version, you'd have mm-hmm. to cut out a whole lot and you could ground it better in that relationship. You could also do, you know, a three film version or, or two film or whatever and adapt the manga much better. Uh, a lot of which sounds wonderful and exciting. Um, I also think that, I also think that, you know, we criticize remakes and we criticize live action versions and, the reality is that they may be good. They may be bad. Every adaptation we can get excited about. We can get excited about, you know, another Hellboy movie. Well, it might be good. It might be bad. It's not automatically good and it's not automatically bad. I think that where people raise legitimate objections, it's because they think the original sort of can't be uh, beaten, Right that it has a look that you could not reproduce or it's just so perfectly itself that, you know, you couldn't do that again. But I think that even if, I mean, you could do a digital uh, version of this in animation that did that bike phenomenally well, that looked, you know, you might think, Oh, the lighting is a little different. I miss sort of like the, um, uh, weird way in which like spaces, not quite three dimensional when you see them racing, you know, mm-hmm. like which I find charming. Um, but really, I mean, you could you could redo this. I don't see any reason not. And again, it might be terrible, but it might be good. And you don't know until you see the product. Are you? Would you be against seeing one? No, no. I I think I think you know you're, you're spot on. Really, I think um, you could go either way. Like if you were going to do this as a single film, um, I agree. You sort of strip it down, you focus in on the core story, um, and you expand on that. You you give us more of who those characters are. Why is there why is there such a um, rivalry, sort of like friendly rivalry between these two? Why does it grow up to be this sort of you know massive conflict? And just strip away some of the crap that sort of like you know if you can't expand on it, don't do it. Um, and I think that's possible to do, but I also would love to see them do, you know, that 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 epic, um, you know, whether you say whether it be two or three film sort of like uh, Lord of the Rings style story. Um, and I think if you were to give it to the right director, I mean, I think like you know, if you were to give this sort of like Denny Villeneuve or, or someone mm-hmm. like that who could really nail that aesthetic, and I think. If you do look at things like, um, you know, whether they be good or bad films, looking at what they've done, sort of uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, uh, the Scarlett Johansson um, Ghost in the Shell, and uh, this year sort of like Elite Battle Angel, like the technology and the aesthetic is there, and I think people would really right. accept it, um, and I think it would blow people away. I think if you did this as the big epic, I think it, people don't know that people think of Akira and think probably more of the anime than the manga. Yes. Um, and so, you know, you have that massive story potential to really show people sort of some incredible things. I think. There's yeah. Some, so some, oh, go on. 
I mean, you know, well, what's interesting is, I mean, you mentioned Ghost in the Shell and, and Battle Angel Alita. I mean, those were, you know, two recent, I mean, those are probably the only two sort of live action versions of anime that got a big budget release that I'm aware of. And they're both pretty recent. Um, I think you're right that there's an audience of people who might be aware of the anime that don't really know the manga and would love to see it done right. Um, but I mean, do you think that, I mean, I think the mood has kind of been soured. I mean, ghost in the shell did was not received very well and, and I didn't particularly enjoy it. I liked battle angel Alita, but I don't think it was seen as a big hit. And I wonder if there is the audience. I mean, presumably we're talking about a live action remake. Um, if if there is a audience for that kind of project, given that history, yeah, I I I know what you're saying, um, and I think you you know you you might need something to precede it that does get people interested. I mean, I, the the other worry I have the the sort of like the Hollywood flaw would be, um, you know, the potential for whitewashing. I mean, I still see notes that say. Uh, Canada should be played by um, Keanu Reeves. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I like Keanu Reeves as much as the next guy, but he's in his fifties, and right, you know, Canada's supposed to be fifteen. <laughs> so <laughs> let's, you know, let's stick with what this is about. This is about kids. That you know, this is about delinquents, not about some middle-aged guy sort of thing. This is this has got to be done properly, um, and. You know, it might even be that actually it's not a Western director at all that does it. Um, you know, maybe they do do it through uh, a Japanese studio. I'd, I'd be really interested to see if they did it. And, you know, I mean, China is now a, a huge market and still films that did do, well, did very poorly in the sort of West. I'm thinking of sort of um, uh, the Pacific Rim sequel. You right. Know, uh, did actually particularly well in China and Japan, sort of, you know, because it's that sort of thing. So there, there may be a market for it, and that's where to. It, it maybe it comes from there rather than, um, America. Yeah, I mean, the strange thing there is, my guess is that it would depend on how well known Akira is in China, um, mm. and I don't know that answer. I I think that, um, you know, in the U.S. Obviously, it's got this kind of cult following, and it was very influential here. I don't know if that's the case in China. I know, like when they did like the the Michael Bay Transformers movies, China didn't get the Generation One stuff, and so for China, one reason why those were really successful is because it was new to most Chinese. Yeah. I mean, I'll go back to you know the other the other thing I'd think back to is is um, if you if you were to be if I mean, Warner Brothers have the the live action rights to it if they you know so let's be honest their their recent history of franchise make is isn't good um, but if they were to be brave and really commit to this and bring in the right people you know people weren't sure when when uh, Peter Jackson was filming Lord of the Rings, like, you know, people were really like, you're filming three epics in a row, right. doing thir 13 months of filming in New Zealand. 
and then you're going to do a year's worth of sort of special effects and all this other stuff. Like people, I remember discussion of people thought that was going to, you know, yeah. die a death um, and became one of the biggest, you know, fantasy franchises of all time. So it's one of those that sort of, like, you know, it, it might need something to work to precede it, or it could be the film that actually, you know, set, uh, uh, blows the world up and we get sort of every couple of years we get the next akira film for three years you know for three films i don't know it's it's it's, it's possible yeah. it's well i mean that would be fun i i think that you know i agree with you that it was it was a shock when uh you know people were talking about jackson and and what he was doing there but you know i suspect that akira doesn't have the following isn't as big a name as Lord of the Rings, right? I mean, which mm. has probably sold millions of copies uh, even before those movies. Um, I mean, sort of had the had the um, status of the fantasy text, a whole genre. Now, the flip side argument is there's no bigger name in anime than Akira, mm. at least in the in the West. I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think I think yeah, it does hold. It will still hold some cachet um, as an IP. I think that you know they could definitely cash in on that sort of um, thing. I mean, the the way to do it is if you know you focus on the aesthetics and you sort of get the the images right. The moment someone saw one of those iconic scenes, I mean, if you you could just do it, if someone could just do a. Um, like a photo, like a promo reel for live action. And it just showed that, you know, that opening bit, uh, the explosion, you know, um, the bike and, you know, doing that sort of, like I said, the, the, the iconic skid and a couple of other bits. Mm-hmm. If someone could replicate that um, in some way and show this is what the you know we're capable of. And then it got out there. I'm pretty sure if that got out on the internet, like, people would start to pay attention to it. Um, yeah, that's true. And that might actually be one of the ways to get it made. I mean, that's happened before where people have made these kind of sizzle reels and, uh, you know, and gotten yeah. something made. Sometimes it doesn't get made, but uh, sometimes it does work. I mean, yeah, that was the demo. That was the uh, the Deadpool route to, to uh, you know, live action, wasn't it really? So All right. it's, 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 you know, it's possible. And again, there were certain directors I think would do, would do a great job of it. Um you know, I I haven't seen uh, Alita yet, but I am quite tempted. I think Robert Rodriguez has got a good um, visual eye. I don't know whether he's good at it, but I love I love everything that sort of um, Denny Villeneuve does. You know, he's obviously doing June soon. Oh yeah. So, and if June, and that's another one. So if you know, if he can sort of, um, if he can bring June to the screen in a coherent way, <laughs> right. Um, then you know maybe that's it. Maybe that's the sort of you know a, a sci-fi um, rejuvenation for sort of you know bigger epic sort of sci-fi. I don't know. Yeah, I I would really love to see that, um, and I'd love to see more Akira stuff. Um, you know, having said that, I mean I am always suspicious. I mean I think you're right that if you're going to do it, that sort of sizzle reel thing is the way to go. And Villeneuve is is a great name. Um, I'm sure that he could do a fantastic job. Having said that, you know, Blade Runner 2049 did not do well. Um, mm. As great as it is, and 
you know, I think you and I both have a lot of respect for it and it got a lot of critical acclaim. Um, it is regarded like the original Blade Runner as a flop. So I I don't, and the reality is that uh, the jury's still out right now on those Dune films. Um, I'm a little skeptical about whether you can really market that the way I didn't like the Lord of the Rings movies at all, actually, but the way those could be marketed and, and be a success. I've, I've also just made my peace with nothing I like will ever be popular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's one of those, isn't it? So sort of there's, there's always, like we were saying before we recording, we, our little niche is sort of like, you know, there's the things that we love and then, I, I always have things. It's it's a bit like Moon Knight. I'm a massive Moon Knight fan. You know, you know uh, my affection for the character, and mm-hmm. for years I've been like, yeah, I would love a live action. I would love a live action. I want to become part of the MCU. And the moment they announce it, you know, for like three seconds, I'm like, that's amazing. And then three seconds pass, I'm like, oh, I hope they don't mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Then, you know, so. There is that thing of sort of like, you know, wanting to see it, but then also being terrified of what you're going to see. So, well, they'll do Akira at some point. I mean, I, I can't yeah. imagine we've got in Ghost in the Shell and, and Battle Angel Alita, and we're not going to get Akira. Um, it's it's got to happen. But yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, you never know whether it's going to be good. I mean, my reaction these days is. I, you know, it's so hard for me to care anymore about these remakes and stuff because I, you know, I remember, uh, you know, gee, what was the, the last one I saw was Shazam, um, mm. you know, and, and, and thinking like, my God, if you had told me when I was, you know, in the, in the eighties or the nineties that we were going to have a big budget Captain Marvel movie from DC, let alone there's a Marvel Captain Marvel movie too. Yeah. I, I mean, I would have said. You know, you're talking out of your ass. You know, there's no way this is ever going to happen. We're lucky if we get anything but Batman and Superman, and I'll settle for one of those every three years. Um, you know, and now we've got this cornucopia of stuff, and most of it is just not good. Um, and also, I'm old. So, you know, what appealed to me? I mean, I'm sure if I were, a, you know, 18-year-old kid or a 12-year-old kid, I mean... Shazam would be perfectly fine. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think there was ever an age at which Aquaman would have been okay with me, but you know, <laughs> uh, but yeah. you know, I mean, ultimately, if there is an Akira, it, it, for it to succeed, it can't be for us. It has to be for the next generation. It has to be for the kids who may or may not have seen it, but know of its pedigree. Uh, yeah, and I wonder if, if if you're gonna sell it in that way, like maybe that is the way to sell it. Like, because I say it's it's about kids rebelling. You know, these aren't mm-hmm. it, the, you know the, the biker gang, and maybe that's what they're really to tap into. Is like you say, it's not it's aimed at those sort of kids and rebelling and the fact that they are the ones that in the the greater manga there is a bunch of kids really that sort of um, are the center of this fight. I mean, it's no different when you think about it. It's, it's a lot more violent and a lot more sort of. Um, uh, I don't know, sorry, complex, but it's got it's got darker themes, and say some of these uh, um, young adult sort of stories, almost sort of like Hunger Games or the 
uh, right. Maze Runner or one of those sorts of things. Like maybe that's yeah, what very true. At. Yeah, indeed. Um, I mean, you know, but you have to streamline. I mean, I, I I was just thinking as we were talking about like there's a whole uh, site narrative in the anime with a with a Sol program and like a SDI program, <laughs> and you know it provides for some dramatic bits, not actually important at all, right? I mean, you get to see um, Tetsuo go into space and it's cool that it's silent, right? They're not, uh, you know, sort of doing the Star Wars, Star Trek thing. And and it's great. And you get to watch Neo Tokyo get blasted with beams. But in the end, it's not important. None of that made any <laughs> difference in the film. It's just like throw that in two and you that stuff would not survive a, a current adaptation. No, no, I think that's it. I think streamlining is, is, you know, if you really want to sell this, you're probably going to be looking at a, a rather than, a, I think you're right, you, you're going to end up doing with an adaptation of the anime rather than the manga. And if you're going to do that, then you streamline it and you really focus in on what's important and tell a really good story about that rather than, as you say, shoehorning in everything else. But Hey, I have an idea. The, the way to do it, might be a uh, TV miniseries, you know, that you can do a TV miniseries that's animated relatively, mm. you know, I mean, it costs millions, but low cost compared to a film. Um, and you could do the manga uh, on a TV series, right? Where you've got, you know, a couple seasons or, you know, you've got there, you've got lots of room to let yourself develop this. That would be really cool, actually. I mean, maybe that's the way to go. I mean, you know, obviously... Um, you know, with these streaming services all looking for for the next for the next big binge worthy TV show, you know, maybe that is the way to go. Actually, um, that could be quite interesting. To see, you know, whether it get picked up by, well, I think Warner Brothers are even looking to do their own streaming service. So yeah, maybe. I mean, they tried the DC stuff, didn't they? So one day, like you say, I, th- I think you're right. This is going to turn up in Akira is not dead. It's going to be, it's going to turn up in some form. Um, and possibly not in the, in the not too distant future, really. Okay, so le- so let me before we wrap up, can I ask you about that ending? You know, somebody who's more familiar with the manga, um, <laughs> I find that I, I've always found that ending. Um, well, I mean, in, in the in the anime, sort of a letdown after the big fight. You know, like I don't need Akira to show up, and this combination of of beings and then they sort of go off and in the anime there's all this sort of visuals of like an atom by the way one of the worst speeches in all of movie history when they're talking about like there are uh there's energy in an amoeba and what if an amoeba was powerful um it's not good and then and then there's the readout of like the uh energy burst where the guy says, like, uh, um, you know, if if these readings are correct and, and you're looking at the sheet and it's like, uh, you know, four lines, like a heartbeat monitor. And he's like, you know, mm. this is the same energy that was the creation of the universe. You know, I'm thinking <laughs> uh, machines don't tell you that. Right. Um, you know, it's it's but then you have this this end sequence that I think is tied to those ideas of sort of like I think it's the 2001 Star Child idea of sort of like um, Akira slash Tetsuo slash sort of, you know, these kids, um, all of these psychic, uh, this next evolution 
um, of sort of human life going out into space and sort of exploring molecules, which I think is kind of cool. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, the X-Men mutant idea, but, you know, them going off and being 2001 and, and being really the next step of humanity instead of just a movie villain. But am I, am I misreading that or? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, if, if anything, it's sort of, uh, I've actually got the, the, uh, the manga in front of me, I'm just double checking and it has um, some of the dialogue. I mean, this is obviously you know, the, the finale of the manga came out two years later. Some of the um, dialogue used in the film is used in this um, in this version as well. Um, it's just again, it's explained just a lot better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is the only way to describe it. Um, it's sort of like you know. So in the in the in the manga, I say so. Akira is alive in in the manga and acts as this sort of like you know. Um, relatively sort of silent dictator uh, and it's sort of Tetsuo that sort of like veers into madness more and more as he goes along and it's him that sort of releases this sort of second explosion or you know this this thing at the end of the um, you know, much like in, in, the, in the manga uh, in the anime mm-hmm. but in, instead of being absorbed from the inside um, it's actually Akira and two of the kids uh, the psychic children that form this sort of like this almost like secondary, that's what I describe it, like a secondary explosion that absorbs all the energy so to sort of protect all the people, mm-hmm. um, and then it sort of it goes into this whole sort of like inner space kind of deal. Then and you even get to see uh, the history of sort of certain characters and where they've come from. You get to learn more about um, Akira and the kids and what they're all like before. And it, it, there's a whole section on this thing. Um, and then, yeah, it sort of just ends. <laughs> and so you are left with this wondering of, like, you know, what they've done, where they've gone, but with this sort of understanding that they are off in a better place. Um, so it's it, it sort of, it's very similar, but because it's got m- more explanation, it sort of feels more satisfying. You feel that there's a sacrifice. Right. In, in the book, because uh, it's sort of like... <laughs> In the anime, it sort of skipped over. Like the kids go, oh, "We can do this," and they can sort of like save him or stop him, um, and then that's sort of it. But as I said, because it's expanded a bit more in the manga, like you get more of this idea that um, you know, yeah, they are doing this to sort of to save people and to sort of like to try and stop them, and it's it it just feels more satisfying in the book. It's very similar, but as with yeah. me- as with much of the of the anime, there's more of it in the book, right. <laughs> Well, I can see how it would work better with more more room there. Mm. Yeah, I do want to i I do want to see Akira as dictator, though. Uh, so I might have to go back and and bother to to read the manga. I I I would say if we take anything away from this, like you know, I, we, we've both sort of said how much we enjoy the sort of the visual aspects of the film and the sort of the it's it's iconic for a reason. But if you've only ever watched the anime, um seriously sort of like you know try and take the time and and, and try the the manga because um like visually it's stunning you know uh otomo's art is is absolutely breathtaking in its de- level of detail um but also like i say the breadth of the storytelling is he, he just sort of 
he lets it breathe uh, a lot more. Um, and one of the things I really enjoy about the book, which you know, it's one of those things that sometimes you can help with a comic, is there are silent pages. So there's sort of moments in the story when the, there's either uh, you know like a gut wrenching moment or like there's a moment of like absolute destruction. And then there's just these silent pages of sort of seeing character reactions, whether they be totally like dejected mm-hmm. or whatever. And if, you, if you're feeling bored, you can just skim over them. You know, you can just go, okay, get to the next bit of dialogue. But if you sit and just look at them, like, you know, his attention to detail and his characterization of, the, of, of you know, the emotion shown in these things is so good. It's so, um, it, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's, an, I think it's just, it's an incredibly well done story overall. Um, and the characters are just more, more well-rounded, really. Just make a lot more sense. <laughs> so I, I do recommend it. I think you should go and read the, read the manga. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Not just me. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're right, though. I do think this has sort of fallen out of favour a little bit. Like You don't seem to hear about it as much as as you used to. I remember, like, see, when it, I remember being at university in the early 2000s, and you could mm-hmm. buy the poster, and it was a big thing that Dark Horse oh, released. Yeah. And it was big then, but you don't seem to hear a great deal about it that much anymore. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of uh, Robotech, and they're talking mm-hmm. about doing a live-action Robotech, and, you know, there was just this bizarre, uh, you know, renewing of the rights with with Harmony Gold to allow that to happen, and it's all very convoluted. But, um, you know, that's sort of in uh, somewhat of the same camp of just sort of like, you know, there was a time in which that was known by everyone. Um, mm. Maybe not as big as Akira, but um, and and just you know, I wonder like has its moment passed? Um, I can't imagine that Akira is uh, going to stay dormant forever, but um, I do think that people should uh, you know check it out, and, and I'm glad that we're covering uh, an anime. Yeah, I do think there'll be others we could probably do in the future because I mean, you know, I I actually really enjoy the sort of um, the original uh, Ghost in the Shell uh, mm-hmm. anime. Uh, I even think the sequel to that is actually quite good, Innocence. Um, and there's a couple of others I think stand out. Um, and there's a few others I, I would like to say. Um, I've never watched the original Voltron. Um, uh, even oh, really? With it. Yeah, uh, I've seen some of the re- you know the, the re- Netflix reading it recently, didn't they? Oh yeah, uh, sure. And I, I checked out a couple of episodes. That those all right? Um, and then what's it? Is it Evangelion? Yeah, Evangelion. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so there's that as well. I've seen that and, and heard quite a bit about people talk about that and how that sort of was shaped by its creator. And so it's it's sort of like anime as a sort of a thing. I've never really sort of got into. I've dipped into. I mean, I really I'm a big fan of. Um, um, Cowboy Bebop. Um, oh yeah, which sure. I sort of came across. I came across that by accident. So, yeah, there's a lot I think we can explore from a sci-fi perspective in this one. Well, I, th- I think my my two favorites are, are Robotech and, and Space Dandy, which is by the same guy who did uh, Cowboy Bebop. Um, but you know, I mean, I think that for me, uh, the story of anime has been a story of disappointment, and I think this goes back to Akira. That for me, like in in '88. Uh, I was just like, I was really into comics and I, and I really believed that comics could be an art form and tell mature, sophisticated stories. And nobody wanted to, to agree with me. Um, I felt the same way about animation and I loved 
the animation that we had as Americans. And as Akira and some other anime, back then they called it Japan animation, uh, mm-hmm. came over to the States, um, it represented the possibility of animation as an art form. Um, the idea was that America had not made mature adult content in animation and that Japan had. Japan, so Akira sort of represented that. And I think, you know, sort of maybe it's it's similar or parallel to the pain I feel, you know, seeing all these superhero movies and not liking them. Um, but now, you know, I can watch the uh, Adult Swim um, block of uh, uh, anime. Uh, some days I do, but a lot of it is not, you know, it's not Akira. I mean, a lot of it is not um, of that level. And I'm glad that there is, uh, you know, the the Cooking Wars show, but that's not, you know, Lupin is fine, but that's not what the dream was. And so mm-hmm. I kind of feel like revisiting Akira for me is is interesting because I feel a, a kind of pain that the promise of anime didn't really pay off for me. That I thought Akira was cool and that sort of we would keep getting stuff like this. And we've gotten a few, but we've also gotten a lot of stuff that that wasn't as good. And I still feel as if the the dream of adult animation um, is a dream that has largely been unfulfilled. I I, I totally agree. And it's, it's funny because for, for me, like I say, I, I've always liked Akira, but one of the, I had a similar uh, feeling um, later on. So I I. One of my guilty pleasures in comics is Spawn. It's one of those series I sort of I go back to and I quite enjoy. It. I always read the sort of the first sort of hundred issues. It's sort of like my sort of go to. Um, I know it's not great, you know. And again, aesthetically, mm-hmm. it's great. You got some, you know, Greg Capullo, and you've got some, and even Todd McFarlane's art is fantastic. But the storytelling is not wonderful. But then they, the HBO actually turned it into an animated series. They got three sort of series out of it, um, and. I remember watching that, you know, I got it on, on DVD and stuff, and and it's dark and it's violent and the animation's pretty cool on it. And I was like, oh, this is if HBO's doing this and it looks like this, like this is it. This is the birth of sort of like dark superhero animation. Like you know, we might get this and we get you know we might get some other bits going on. And then like you say, that was it. <laughs> it sort of <laughs> it, it like I say, it never came to fruition. Um, so we do get these little flash in the pans of sort of saying, look, we can do this. But we constantly seem to get this notion that uh, animations for kids, mm-hmm. and it's it's funny they talk about this with like Pixar, and you you hear it constantly when you hear about Disney films or Pixar films or whatever, and it's um, oh it's it's amazing, it's wonderful for the kids, it's so beautiful, it's you know the 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 the, the animation's great, the characters are great, and, and they've put some jokes in there for the adults too. And it shows it's sort of like you know it's it's good. I mean, like, you know, I, I happily go and watch a lot of these films. Mm-hmm. But like you say, kids are the primary audience for animation. Like that's where the money is, and so adults become almost like secondary. Like okay, well they've got to take the kids, so we've almost got to give them something to get them through the hour and a half of, um, you know, Wreck It Ralph or, right, or whatever. Um, 
Well, and also to get them talking so they recommend it to other parents, you know, and they say, oh, well, you know, I mean, a lot of that Pixar stuff, you know, they're well told, they're they're well Mm. done. But as you say, they're still for kids. Yeah, and I I don't, I mean, you know, uh, I... Um, one of the films that I think will be on our list at some point is um, uh, A Scanner Darkly, um, mm-hmm. the Philip K. Dick sort of adaptation. Yeah. And that's obviously doing with rotoscope and that sort of thing. And I think that's a fascinating, that was a really brave and interesting concept to use that sort of animation for, for to tell a, 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 a you know, Philip K. Dick story. But it's almost done as an experiment. And it's another yeah. example of sort of like, you know, look, we can do this with the technology but it's never going to happen again. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I mean, I, I, I don't like that film, actually. Um, but there's another movie like it that's a, the French film, uh, The Congress, uh, that's with uh, Robin Wright. And it sort of mixes some live action with animation and it uses rotoscoping. Um, I like that one better, but mm-hmm. I still don't know that I, I love it. Um, and I was thinking, I remember the Spawn uh, HBO show. But I also remember Aeon Flux on MTV, um, mm. and and that had tons of narrative flaws. I mean, I think Akira has narrative flaws, but that was also like, oh, this is the start of a new thing, right? We're going to get this wave of adult animation, and it just never seems to show up. Um, and it, and it's incredibly it's incredibly painful to me uh, because I I love the idea of of anime. I love animation. I love the idea of being able to do anything in animation. Um, you don't have to worry. And of course, now you can do anything with CGI, but sometimes it looks fake, whatever, you know, now we're so, it's almost like we're so wedded to CGI that, that animation is something that, uh, um, you know, you don't even think of for a, uh, a big scale project. But there was a time when uh, it seemed possible. I mean, you also had like heavy metal. Um, mm. The heavy metal movie was a big influence. Um, you know, there were some there were some French ones in in the seventies. Um, you know, but I mean, like Fantastic Planet. Uh, but yeah, it just kind of it just kind of never happened. And and I think it's very painful to me. Uh, I mean, you had like the Animatrix. I mean, that mm. was for adults. That's great. I mean, you have the like uh, sequence in Kill Bill Volume One um, that I loved. I mean, like when when I went to see that in theaters, it was like, oh my god, you know, they they hired an anime artist, and yeah. you know, I, I I recognize this style, and this is a, a whole chapter of a Tarantino movie. You know, as big a name as you can get, and even that never turned into it's not like people watch that and they said oh well let's get something out into theaters i mean you kind of you have miyazaki right but mm-hmm. i mean the miyazaki stuff is very beautiful but it's not it's really for children i mean i mm-hmm. i know that's not popular to say but it really is well again that's the target audience yeah i mean you know because um, even like natural born killers has got an animated section in it and it's you know it's mm-hmm. um and it's it's weird when they do this thing because I remember that uh, uh, Riddick, uh, the the sort of near, uh, Pitch Black had a an animated. They tried to do their own sort of version of the Animatrix. It was it was nowhere near as successful. Um, but it's almost like animation continually gets used as that experiment, you know, to show look we can do this. I mean, the Animatrix is a is a really good example because it's sort of 
it, the Animatrix in itself inspired these different things because there was, um, like I said, there was the the pitch black Riddick half hour thing, which is which is terrible. Um, but then they also did Gotham Knights, which is a sort of like a a weird mm-hmm. sort of uh, compilation of Batman stories told through different forms of animation, and some of those are actually pretty good. Um, but there's this constant sort of I'm, I'm conscious that there's this sort of constant fear of uh, you know, uh, putting money into something from a cartoon or an animated cartoon, an animated point of view, and saying, "Yeah, this is for adults," and then trying to put that into a cinema and make right. money. Because I, I honestly don't think adults, um, you know, they will go and see a Disney film if they can take the kids. Like they will, you know, I know people that have been really excited and made excuses to take their nieces and nephews to go see Frozen Two. It's like, go see yourself, <laughs> you know, and then like, I can't do that. You go, oh, okay. But, right. <laughs> yeah, but if you were just to say, "Oh, all right, here's a, a you know a PG thirteen or an R rated animation," like people, I don't think people will be brave enough to admit that they've gone to see a cartoon. Um, you know, yeah. it would probably it's one of those things. If it was good, it would probably do well on streaming or on on home release. But I think it would yes. struggle in cinemas because someone's then got to walk up and be like, "I would like a ticket for whatever." <laughs> No, I think I think that's exactly right, and I, I think that just goes to show how far we've yet uh, got to go on that. Uh, mm. But it may never happen. Um, you know, the strange thing is that, especially at Fox, um, with the the Simpsons. I mean, the Simpsons was supposed to be a door to more adult animation, and and it became this whole uh, Fox. Sunday night thing with, you know, Family Guy and American Dad and mm. a bunch of other shows. And I like those shows fine, but they're not adult shows, right? They're sort of like adolescent comedy uh, that's f- the kids can kind of watch um, depending on the show, but they're not, you know, they're comedies. I mean, they're basically animated sitcoms. And I don't know how we got all these animated sitcoms and you know, they can sell the Simpsons and somebody is comfortable going to see the Simpsons. That's not shameful. If you're 30 uh, to get a ticket for the Simpsons. But if you, that same person would probably be ashamed to go in and get a ticket for Akira. I don't Mm. understand. I suppose it's about known IP, isn't it? You know, you Mm -hmm. can joke about going to see the Simpsons or or whatever. And I, I think in the same breath, I think of like Rick and Morty. Mm-hmm. You know, that's sort of like because that's definitely not for kids. I mean, it's, I I really enjoy Rick and Morty. I think that you know some of the episodes of that are absolutely fantastic. But if they were to do a feature length that Rick and Morty, that thing would probably do gangbusters. You know, cause I agree. Like, oh, I've been to see the Rick and Morty film; it's amazing. Doesn't it? <laughs> but it's because it's got it's, it's got already like a built in um, audience. You know, it's a known IP. It's already got merchandise coming out of its ears, and you know, um, yeah, I think you're right. It's that thing again. So, like, you could actually sort of like you could happily walk up and be like, you know, people know what Rick and Morty is. It's not a kids' cartoon. I can, I can do that. I can pay for that. But if you were to say, I'm going to go and see, I don't know, I say some of the unknown or lesser known animated uh, IP, then it, it becomes more of a stigma, doesn't it? It's like, oh, there's that animated film that's come out, um, and I think that's yeah. what it, 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 it's or, or it's a weird art thing, right? I mean, like you can yeah. 
I mean, the, the theaters near my house play uh, Hawa Miyazaki Festival every year, and mm. they do every single uh, Studio Ghibli film, um, which is great. And, you know, it, it's a hipster thing. That's all cool. People can come out. But if there were a new uh, animated film that were rated R or rated PG-13, they wouldn't they wouldn't go to that. No, again, it's that thing, isn't it, of, of being part of a clique or being part of a group that sort of... You, you were allowed to do that. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could probably do an anime, a feature anime um, festival. You know, you could... You you would do... Uh, you could you could show Akira, Ghost in the Shell, um, you know, possibly the Cowboy Bebop movie. Um, mm-hmm. uh, was Robotech didn't have Robotech. Robotech had a, a feature, but you could it's not select. Good. Yeah, but you could easily select. You probably could, but you could show all those things say, over a three day period, do a three day festival, and people would go and they would go to see them all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the thing you could then say, oh, look, people people are coming out to see anime. No, they're not. They're coming out for a festival, and it's different because there they can guarantee that they are going to be in the audience with like minded people. Mm-hmm. So they can enjoy it. It's a bit like going to see um, the room, uh, you know, as a midnight screening where you can throw toast at the screen, or you go to see um, the Rocky Horror Rocky Picture Horror. Show, and yeah. you can all, yeah, you all go enjoy and, and sing in the song. Like you don't <laughs> jump up and start doing the time warp in the middle of a regular cinema, do you? But <laughs> it's so you go to see, and I think that's the thing is that you have to feel the comfortable that you're comfortable and confident in that group of people that I'm seeing an animated film, I'm loving the animated film, and I'm not wrong for doing so. And I don't think people are secure enough to be able to do that independently at their local multiplex, which I think is a shame. Yeah, I do too. Um, and I think that, you know, recently they they uh, re-released uh, for the anniversary the Transformers animated film, and I went to see it, and I thought I was going to be the only person. Um, and I wound up talking to some strangers, and had a marvelous conversation and we'll never speak to each other again. But, <laughs> um, but there again, it's, it's recognized IP. And I think as much as like, we could talk about Akira, we could talk about the story and, and, and the manga and the way in which um, the Akira narrative could be adapted. And, you know, talking about ghost in the shell and battle angel Alita, we've had these live action adaptations. I think you and I are all for that. But where is the adult animation that I was promised? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Akira takes place in uh, 2019. We're now past that. Uh, <laughs> why? I can live without my jetpacks, but the but the narratives that promised me the jetpacks were animated adult narratives like Akira. Um, can I at least continue that? Could I, I mean, that was part of the promise was that we would get this as an art form. We've gotten mature comics. We've gotten some of that. But animation hasn't grown up, uh, at least not yeah. in the way we were promised. It's a, it's a real shame because the technology is now there. I mean, like, you know, there's some of the, I, I unfortunately, I didn't get to see it in the cinema, but you had like Toy Story 4 and you see some of the stuff that and the quality of the animation is stunning. I mean, you know, it's it's gotten so far that you, as you said, you could do so much now that it doesn't have to look realistic. You could do it really stylized, and it would look amazing. But I also miss, I miss, I I honestly miss two D animation. 
Mm-hmm. I get a bit sick. Um, you know, I see sort of um, even like cheap kids cartoons now that are just made out of piss poor sort of CG animation. It's just sort of like it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, my my sick girl watches stuff that's sort of like you know, it's for kids. It's supposed to. She's not there to to enjoy it, but in the sense of like you know, admire the sort of the you know the texturing and rendering of whatever it is that's there. But I watch anything like this looks crap. Like it looks mm-hmm. cheap. And then I thought back and go, actually, I can't complain because I also really liked He Man, and you know he ran past the, he ran past the same tree about a three million times. So it's, it's it's I suppose it's all it's all relative, but I I, I do miss like well made two D animations or that you know that that hand drawn thing, uh, and maybe that's just me being old and curmudgeonly. But you're right, we've got so many options for animation that. It, it, it does feel like it hasn't matured. I mean, you say about like, known IP and grown up. I, I I think again, like DC, as in Warner Brothers, one of the things that they've done most successfully with some of the DC universe stuff is the animated stuff. Like, I agree. Not all, not all of it's good. I mean, granted, you know, not all of it's fantastic. But in recent times, their two part um, Dark Knight Returns um, with. Uh, Speaking of Robocop earlier on, but you know Peter Weller is the voice of Batman and stuff, and that is really good. Mm-hmm. You know the the the, the, the it's, again it's two D animation. It's sort of the the score on it is really good. It's got a really good tone. It's sort of like it doesn't hold back, and they've sort of committed to doing that with several others. They did a Constantine one as well recently, and I'm like that was really good. It was you know again they've sort of. Um, committed to it and said yeah that's what the character is and that's what we're going to do they're still doing the kiddier stuff the sort of the set that that, that main um mm-hmm. bunch but every now and then they'll, they'll do with the stuff but the difference yeah is they again, did they did a killing joke recently uh, i saw that and i, I mm. wasn't in love with it but i mean at least they did it i mean uh like dark knight you know it's good to to have this stuff out i agree it's good stuff yeah but again it's it's, it's safe because it's a known ip Right, you know, it's that thing where you, I, you, the Killing Joke in particular was an interesting one because it's a film of two halves. Like they had to, in, in, for some mm-hmm. reason, they invented an entire first half of the film to sort of justify the the, the story itself, um, which is bizarre. But you know, the content is still there. There's still that sort of um, the attack on Barbara Gordon and, and sort of like you know the the pushing of, of Jim Gordon all this other stuff. So it's right. They're willing to do and try and do be be more mature and be that little bit more risky, but it's never. Uh, it's always like straight to video. Do you know what I mean? It's always that sort of thing. Yeah. Of like, oh, we're going to put it on streaming, or okay, it's going to be released on Blu-ray. Um, right. And like you say, so what the the dream was, as you say, full blown theatrical animation, but right. Well, I mean, and and we'll get some of this, I think, through the streaming services. I mean, we did get uh, Castlevania from Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, a sort of PG-13. It's not a serious R, but that was Warren Ellis writing it. Um, mm. And it's not my preferred genre, but it, it's solid stuff. Um and I mean, maybe we'll continue to get some of that stuff. Uh, I think we will. Um, but yeah, as you say, sort of the uh, the dream of Akira, at least for us in the West, um, 
failed to materialize and and remains a kind of frustrating cultural hole for me. Yeah, I agree. In fact, I think there was this. I think streaming services is where it's going to sort of um, pop up. You know, it'll, it'll we'll see these things where they'll do things. And Netflix is actually a good example because they've done that sort of thing like. Um, other sitcom kind of things. They've got Final Space and they've got uh, Disenchantment and that sort of thing. So right. they're, they're willing to put their sort of um, themselves in there. But there is actually, I'll tell you what, I haven't watched it yet. I've only spotted it today. There's actually a thing on here called, because again, they've all done, to, um, Netflix has actually put money into um, Netflix funded uh, anime as well. Mm-hmm. They've obviously got uh, Evangelion and, and, and a few others, but they've got their own stuff on there. But there's one here that's called um, Sound and Fury. And it's a 41 minute. And it's, a, it's a visual album. And so it's sort of like different music things all centered on a single theme. But then hmm. the animation style changes throughout it. Again, it's like, oh, someone's using anime or animation in an interesting way, you know, harkening back to things like heavy metal and that sort of thing. So it's interesting when people do it, but I suppose it just needs that mainstream kick something to to, right. to knock it push it up a level yeah and netflix has had uh success also with it's like love and death and robots oh um, yeah that was it, cool. some of them are really good actually yeah and that actually started as a heavy metal revival um mm. and before it turned into that so i mean it's good to see these projects i think you're right that you know sort of streaming is where it's at but um you know, I mean, I guess over time, as, as stuff proliferates, uh, eventually there'll be something for us. But just got to keep our eyes and ears open. Um, but yeah, so so in in the meantime, though, sort of like circling back to, so would you recommend to people that they should check out um, Akira? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, I think that I mean I'm a big fan of, if not. I, I hesitate to say I'm a big fan of anime because I don't like most of it, but I'm a huge fan of the concept of adult animation. And uh, there's no getting away from Akira. I mean, Akira changed the world for uh, kids of, of, you know, I mean, we're close of, of our generation. Um, and when you talk about sort of, of uh, animated science fiction, Akira is on everybody's short list and list and deservedly so for despite its flaws that I I will whine about uh, and point out that I, I have problems with the narrative, but it is iconic and there's no avoiding it. You, you agree with uh, all of that, Scott? I, I definitely do. I, I definitely think it's uh, it's one of those films that sort of you know if you are looking back at you know the, those films that have shaped. Um, you know, the way sort of, uh, even like non-animated films, like, you know, if you look at, um, you know, without Akira, you don't get Ghost in the Shower. Without Ghost in the Shower, you, you, some of the look of that, you don't get The Matrix. You know, it's one of those, mm-hmm. really. It's that influential that um, I'd even say, if you, you know, you look at sort of some modern sci-fi films, there's just a whole bunch that owe a great debt to this film, really. Um, so yeah, no, I think it's definitely worth checking out. But I would also stress, like you say, the the going back and and it's a, it's a it's a it's a big read. But I would definitely suggest checking out the manga as well um, if you get the opportunity because it is uh, it's it's well worth a visit. Very good point. So 
on that note, I think we both sort of saying, yeah, definitely go and, and find this out. Go sort of check it out. And uh, hopefully, if you like, uh, you know, uh, Japanese animation or manga, get in contact. Let us know. Maybe there's, there's other films that we haven't mentioned that you think we should be checking out, or even anime series or manga that you think is worth talking about or worth checking out. And we will, uh, I'll definitely go and, and have a look and see if it's something um, that tickles our fancy. And if you think that Frozen or the Simpsons movie uh, satisfies your adult animation craving, uh, tweet that at us too, even though you are wrong and terribly so. <laughs> yes, you can tweet at us. We probably won't read it, but we, you can do so. That's true. <laughs> um, but our our sort of uh, dystopian sci-fi doesn't stop here. We're, uh, we're I was going to say we're returning to Earth, but we're not. We're jetting off into space uh, for next one. And it's um, uh, 1997, I think, uh, Starship Troopers. One so, of my favourites. Yeah, I'm, I haven't watched this film in, in, in quite some time. So I'm really looking forward to getting back in, back to this film because uh, um, I have fond memories of it, but I think there's a lot I've forgotten. So I'm quite looking forward to getting back to it. Well, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun watching these again, like Akira, which I hadn't seen in so many years, and then being able to have a intelligent conversation about it, Scott. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be good. There's some, I think there's going to be some interesting stuff to talk about on, uh, on Starship Troopers. Um, so, Julian, as usual, it's been fantastic, uh, and uh, thank you for the conversation. Uh, Feelings mutual, Scott. And uh, for our listeners, thank you so much for, for listening. Thank you so much for sort of partaking in the discussions. And if you've got anything that you want to get in contact with about it, sort of like reach out. We are on um, on Twitter uh, as Pod Time Space. Uh, that's at Pod Time Space. So just reach out, tweet at us uh, or message us. Uh, any films that you think we should be checking out, whether it be old films, new films, uh, obscure films, or sort of something you sort of think we should be checking out on streaming services. Just uh, get in contact. We're happy to talk to you about any of that. Um, but uh, yeah, Julian, thanks very much. And, yeah, thanks uh, to you. We'll talk again we'll, soon. Thanks for everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>